Red button is on, Seb. All right. And we are ready to go. Want me to do the clap? Good. Sure, you do the typical clap and signature. Yeah. Got to clap. Hey, guys. Jeremy, National Fire Radio here tonight in the studio uh, with Rob and Tucker. Uh, this studio uh, sessions for us, this podcast has really been uh, rolling out, and we've been bringing on some uh, fantastic guys uh, in the fire service. And tonight is... Uh, not short of that at all. Uh, Al Evangelista is a um, ex-chief of the Pompton Lakes Fire Department, a uh, retired director of the Passaic County, New Jersey Fire Academy for 25 years. He's now the director of OEM for the town of Pompton Lakes. Uh, and his pedigree goes on and on. And not only that, but Al is and was the only principal ever to assign me a Saturday detention, and we'll get into that in a little while. As well as, uh, I'll tell you, in my very young days in the fire service, Al was instrumental in a few things uh, how and where I went to uh, because of his tutelage, and I thank you firsthand You're tonight welcome. for that. You're um, but uh, I, I can't thank you enough for being here tonight, Al. Um, thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to have you. Um, we're going to hop right into it. You know, we, we've talked about... Uh, you know, we, we kind of prepped you a little bit as to what we do here and how informal it is, and we really want to capture the stories and the culture and tradition, but we always jump in with our guests right off the bat, and we go, do you remember your first fire? And so, do you, many years ago, or give us, do you remember maybe when you joined, uh, some memorable something? Give I me something. I remember my first fire very vividly. It was a brush fire. Yeah. And I had been at the firehouse talking to the chief, and he gave me my plectron. This is prior yeah. to pagers. And I went home, we have a siren system in town, and he said, if the siren goes off, if the plectron goes off, you report to the firehouse, first day. Well, I go home, and a couple hours later, it goes off. So I respond in a bathing suit, and I jump on the back step of an engine, going through a brush fire in a bathing suit. Nice. With a guy driving and another guy in the officer's seat. That was it, it was a daytime alarm, about one o'clock in the afternoon. So we got there, pulled the booster line, which I understand are coming back now. We got away from them for quite a few years, and now they're on the way back. And we proceeded to put the brush fire out. And uh, mission accomplished, and we went home safely. That's right. So that was my first fire. That's great. And how long was that quick into? I mean, you got your plectron that day? I literally got the speech yep. and the plectron and so forth that day. So Now, you've got to understand, we weren't issued personal gear back then. Right. Until, you know, we were in... For a couple of weeks. And what year was this? We now? had gear hanging on the apparatus, spare gear. Right. One size fit all. You put the boots on, you put the coat on, you put the helmet on, even, even if you had to wear it sideways, it fit your head. And uh, that's what I remember. And that's what I dealt with when I joined. That's awesome. That's cool. I mean, I have to <laughs> talk about the hook, right? I mean, I, that has to be 18 years old. Uh, I was well. I was older when I joined. Oh, okay. I didn't immediately want to join the fire gotcha. department. Uh, friends of mine, you know got me to join okay. and every Friday afternoon I come home for work they'd be sitting in front of the firehouse waving come on come on come on yeah and next thing you know they're pushing the application you know under my nose and finally I said the hell with it let me join my brother had already joined and he was only in a couple of months ahead of me so uh, I joined and here I am that's awesome yeah. what a career you've had yes 42 years now just to, to kind of tag on to the, the first fire what was the first uh what was your first real fire where you were just like, kind of like, hey, like, this is, this is it. Like, this isn't just the, the training. This isn't, you know, the talk. Like, you knew you were going to work. And yeah. It, it's interesting you bring that up because, unfortunately for the young men and women today that have joined, we had a lot of fires back then, as you can imagine. If they weren't structure fires, 
um, they were car fires. I mean, working car fires. Uh, we didn't have all the protections that we have today, the rollover, the gas shuts off, this, you know, non-combustible uh, textiles and things of that nature. You knew you were going to work each and every time you went out that door. My first house fire that I remember um, was um, on Ramapo Avenue. It was a second floor bedroom job. Back then we had a lot of bedrooms. A lot of bedroom jobs on Friday and Saturday night. People come home from the bar, they go upstairs, they were smoking, they fall asleep at the ashtray, or with the cigarette rather in bed, and next thing you know you had a bedroom fire with a possible victim. Yeah, there's no smoke so, detectors at this time, no, so it's unless no. somebody sees it or smells right, it, that exactly. it's getting called in. And uh, so we had our, our good share, you know, of, uh, of structure fires. So uh, I can remember several, you know, we had a, a fire in a three-story uh, apartment building. It was a work of fire and then chases. Yeah, we weren't okay. familiar with chases. This fire went right up the chase to the top and we caught it. You know, fortunately, uh, the older guys that were in ahead of us, they learned not so much in a fire academy. They learned yeah. by experience. Right. You know, they were grunts. Right. And a lot of guys were ex-military. So they had a little bit of training from that. And, uh, you know, you put two and two together and you work together as a team and you can get a lot accomplished. Yeah, what I was telling these guys was back in the day when I first joined, we only had like 35 fires in a year. But you knew right. that almost every single one of them jobs. was a real thing. Yeah. And now, you know, you go out on smoke detectors and CO calls and, you know, smell yeah. of gas and, yeah. you know, really ups yeah. the calls. Yeah, and unfortunately for the young people today, uh, the repetitiveness of those calls is wearing them out, it's burning them out. Right. To the point where, and I think every chief I talk to that I, I see either at the academy or at meetings, they all have the same problem. People are not coming out, especially at night. These people have full-time jobs in the morning. How many times can you go back to the same building for the same issue right. or the same problem mm -hmm. or steam from a shower or, you know, whatever it, the case may be? that big time period between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Right. the volunteers Very aren't tough. coming out. Very tough. Well, and it, it's interesting because alarm technology is um, Earth come along. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. A little there. But alarm technology has come from like, so that in the beginning of my fire service career, it was it's not a fire alarm until they get there. It's an alarm. And then we'll determine what, what sets right. the alarm off and everything else. And now, like, we have colleges that are being, or dormitories that are being built on the campuses that it's a smart alarm system. So if the alarm activates in the, um, in the dormitory room, like, right. it goes into a local alarm and security checks it sure. out. But if the smoke gets out in the hallway, it dumps the whole building. Mm -hmm. And it was really funny because we were having this, like, of an agitated discussion at work as to gearing up for calls and i said well you know you're 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 telling me you don't want to put your gear on for this one but yet for this one you mm -hmm. are and they're the same exact thing so right. because there's a security guard you know checking this one out it's okay with this one it's not so it's just i find that funny with the alarm technology of right. kind of changing it's really oh it's changed immensely and you know my first fire chief always said this the greatest invention for the fire service was the fire smoke detector, mm -hmm. smoke detector. Because what they did to save lives, not so much structures, but what they did to save lives. I would love to know how many people are woke, were woken up in the middle of the night that had a small fire in their home right. and put it out by themselves with a dishpan of water from the sink and never called it in. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't know about all those calls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, um, the, it is. I have to agree with them. It was the best invention, I think, that ever came out. And it was 75 when they really began to be mass produced. So uh, that was put a, a tremendous change on a fire service, without a doubt. And it, but again, you knew when you were going out the door on a call, yeah, you know, but that's a, you had work. The same reason why we don't have that many large structure fires now, because right. everybody's done repairs on their house, so they have to come up to date. Sure, you know, and everything's wired in, so nothing ever gets going by the time. I mean, right. Like again, it used to be called in by the neighbors. Right. So, right. Yeah. Well, I can't say fortunately for the young people in the service today, because it, it sounds terrible. But if People didn't do stupid things. We wouldn't even have the fires that we're having today. Sure. When you think about it, because most of the fires that we're having today circumvent protections that were built, or they're you know handling gasoline or you know improper smoking materials or fireworks or whatever the case may be. We're still going to get it as long as people are people. We're going to get along. Yeah. So, you know, I tell them. I tell them that in every fire academy class, but. It's changed. Yeah. You know, the demographics have changed. Our response has changed. Again, do I gear up? Don't I gear up? You're listening for the cops. You know, if they report work of fire, obviously, you know. When I say we're getting multiple calls on it, you know, it's, yeah, you, work. you know, everybody's going nuts. But um, it's it's changed immensely in, in my my 42 years in the service. Yeah, I, we, we've hit on so many things in this in this little nook here um, yeah. with so many different guests about True. how it's changed and we always go from it could it could take anywhere the conversation can go to technology to response to volunteerism to the career staff to innovation I mean the, the list goes sure. on and on and how fast things have changed um, and now you know you look at today we're talking about cancer causing agents versus you know, 10 years ago, we talked about uh, thermal imaging to 20 years ago, SCBA to, you know, so sure. it's incredible in, in building, I mean, building construction and everything, right? Personal protective. So that whole discussion. But I, I like what you were hitting on before um, a little bit about the, uh, when you guys joined, Tucker, you as well, you know, back uh, in the 70s, I don't want to date you, but I, like I would think mid to late 70s. Um, You're not as yeah. tight, so it wouldn't work. <laughs> True. <laughs> But you oh, know, so that was the disco the, era. I really wasn't into disco, disco talker. <laughs> I can see that. I can see platforms. It goes well. On disco yeah, I agree. But I can see. I can see what you guys are getting at. Is call volume was much less frequent, but the but quality, real. the quality of the work was there. And and as this, as this graph has changed and the lines cross, right, where call volume goes up and less activity, you know, less fire activity goes down or less fire duty goes down, and then we talk about. Full-time jobs, but, second jobs, right. and so but, on. And go ahead. Here, here's kind of the hidden aspect of what you just hit on. Yeah. It's like a football team. I, I always use that as an analogy. If we always show up for the game and never play the game, we're never going to be good. Agreed. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happened to us today as a fire service. Yeah. Now, short of the career side, where they're working together every day, the same four people mm -hmm. are working together every day. So regardless of what they do, they're still together, they're thinking together, they, I know what you're doing, you know what he's doing. Right. We don't have that in the volunteers, as you know. Every time we go out the door, it sure. could be four different people. So we've lost that part of it too, where at least when we went out for the real deal, we worked together as a team. And you saw the more calls you had, the more polished you got. Yeah, and We don't have then, that opportunity we, anymore. We also didn't have the radios, and you would have guys exactly. that would just, those guys would just put up the ladders, these guys would take the water in. 
Right. No communication. They knew what to do. It just kind of happened. They knew what to do. You'd look around and you'd notice that this job wasn't being done, and then you and another guy would just start taking care of it. Right. Exactly. And we, we, we talk about the calls and not getting the, like that football team that's going to play football. And it's really frustrating because there's, you know, I always say, like, uh, it's somewhere along the line, the four of us to think of a really good idea to get experience to our membership through mm-hmm. training. And then, like, this microphone gets wired into a satellite in outer space, it links up, Morse code goes out, <laughs> and a safety battalion gets activated and says, yeah. this is completely dangerous, we're not doing this. And I, I like we went from one extreme to another with that because, you know, you look at how the, the Navy SEALs as an example will train and they train right up, they go to 100, you know, 100% and they back off by two or three and they come back down. Mm-hmm. That's where we need to be at, but we can't do that because we're so hampered sometimes by, and I'm not saying the safety stuff isn't necessary, but it's a little overkill to the point where it we is. can't, like, well, can we have any acquired burns anymore? And it's I mean, all a result God forbid, of firefighter injuries and deaths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every time, it's like a traffic light. You have enough motor vehicle accidents at an intersection to put up the light, finally, mm-hmm. after so many people die there, God forbid. And you know, fortunate fire service is very much like that. Somebody yeah, mentioned uh, bailout bags. Yeah, right. You know yeah, what I mean? Bailout, yeah. bailout bags, came, we know why they came around uh, as a result of. And, um, you know, there's technology was invented, like thermal imaging cameras the best. As a matter of fact, our department, the first camera we had was the Corns helmet, if you remember that. Yeah. The big camera right in front. We actually had a Boy Scout troop that raised the money with us to buy Pompton Lakes their first uh, imaging camera. And that was that Corns fire helmet. Clifton had them because the company's in Clifton. I think they had two. I went down there and I trained with one. They had a a base. Yes, the Iris. Iris, They had a basement set up in a firehouse, you know, with all the different props and everything to use it. And I went down there and and, uh, operated with it. And it was for its time, I mean, it was an exceptional piece of equipment. Sure. It was just bulky. It was heavy. One guy had, the same guy had to wear the same helmet. Yeah. You know, everybody had to wear the same helmet. And that was a drawback for it uh, as compared to today's handhelds and everything else. Doesn't show you, didn't show you color, but it was more sensitive, I will tell you that, than most of the things out on the uh, mm-hmm. Well, I remember that because that was, was the, cumbersome. That was at the time, though, too, Rob, for your knowledge, you're out of New York, we're New Jersey guys. New Jersey, uh, the state of New Jersey issued cameras to fire departments that uh, got on board with online and uh, computer data reporting. Right. So if you went to a digital format for doing your state reporting, they rewarded you with a camera. Yeah, it was a big incentive. Yeah, it was a big wow. incentive. That's... And so that was that was cool because I have to but think. But it was also a big camera. <laughs> yeah, why? It was, it was that the, the Bullard. red Bullard with yeah, the yeah, handle. Red, One of the first generations. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But we had one of those that was actually outfitted with uh, a remote, so yes. your chief's car could yeah. watch yep. everything they yeah. were doing. And that worked out as being a really good tool for training, because you could pop in a videotape and you could tape cord. Then when we come out, we can look at it and say, see where you guys went? And you had the camera, yeah. so you should have been... It was a good training. So, yeah, worked well. That was, uh, they were introduced, I got to think, around like 95, 96, somewhere. Maybe a little bit earlier. That. Earlier than yeah, that? earlier okay. than that, yeah. It would have been? I would say the early 90s. Yeah. 90 or 91. Yeah. Okay. Right. Now, with the, with the training, mm-hmm. don't you think that now, especially in this area, that we're doing too much stuff that's... They know they're not going to get hurt. You know, it's all simulated with the gas stuff and the whatever. And you go in there and you know that, well, if something happens to me, you know, they'll pull me out and it'll be. When we went through the academy, 
it was live burns and you knew you only mm -hmm. had a certain amount of time and you didn't get out, well, we're not sure right. if we can actually come in and get you. And I think that takes away a little bit of it because everybody goes in going, oh, this is so much fun. You just hit these targets and, and it's yeah. not really... Yeah, I, you it know, does. We try to do a blend of both. Yeah. You know, we absolutely do it for the career departments. Uh, we bring them to our academy and then we bring them down to a uh, Class 8 burn building. And uh, we also get some acquired structures to give them some experience in that, real hands-on. And if we have that ability to do that with a, a volunteer class, we'll do that as well. But uh, generally, we want to make sure that they get the, uh, especially in our county with Patterson, yeah. you know, and Passaic, um, these, these guys are running and uh, very busy departments in urban areas, urban settings. So, you know, we try to do that with them. But, um, you know, we tell them in the academy, this is not the end all. This is just a taste of what's to come. You know, hopefully those departments do go out and take them to a real Class A or, or a, um, you know, real car fire. Yeah, we had the uh, um, situation. I, it's funny. Ever since we've had Deputy Chief Kalman in here from Hackensack, Steve mm -hmm. Kalman right. was here, and he he just blew my mind on a couple of things that we discussed um, with his reasoning and logic. And and his one thing was. He said that the fire service now um, is training-based, not experience-based. And that, that has stuck with me from that day that he yeah. said it sitting yeah. here. That has really stuck with me in everything. Even when I'm in the fire, last night I was in the firehouse, and that stuck with me with something that occurred. And, and so the other thing he said was that you have an obligation as a firefighter now to seek out additional training. Because we're training-based, sure. you have an obligation. Where years ago you used to get a lot of on-the-job training, Right. Now you have to seek out that external training or to better yourself. But I like online to say, training, though, yeah, which is not. But what I'm getting yeah. at is this, right? There's there's opportunities out there, and we've discussed the pros and cons of FDIC and Firehouse and all these things where you can get together with some of the best instructors in the world and, and do this, mm -hmm. but it's cost prohibitive, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on. But what I see is there is some type of, even with the limited manpower that we have and the limited staffing and the limited amount of time that even myself have to go out and continually train under realistic conditions, I do find that guys are seeking that training out, though. And I, I do find that there, there seems to be some type of revitalization of, like, understanding the importance of the job. And people are, and the younger kids, I mean, the guys in my town, they're constantly wanting to go do some realistic go sure. go train and not just mm -hmm. not just uh, you know hoist something up to the roof and stretch a line. They want to go fire conditions. They want to be belly down. They want to learn and understand what it's like to be a cam man or control the door or you know so on. So I think that's hugely valuable to push that type of belief system in the fire service today. That it's great you went through your basic and you went through fire one and congratulations you're not considered an interior fireman. But now you have an obligation. You have an obligation to not only yourself but to your family and to the fire service to go better yourself even further and to push yourself further. And I think that's important. And you were hitting on that before, Tucker, just saying, like, it seems like it's gotten, um, it's not what it used to be with conditions and training. But I think there's tons of opportunities still out there. Absolutely. And you have to, you've got to go get it. You know, the fire service in our area, we're more of rescue company, do rescue company Well, work. we've morphed yeah. into that. That fire prevention has gotten exceptionally bigger for the right reasons. Sure. Uh, so that has also decreased our real fire load, but increased the alarm, yeah. uh, you know, capacity. But um, uh, there was another one I was thinking of, and it, and it just escaped me. But you mentioned rescue, and uh, we're doing a lot of other ancillary services other than firefighting. Yeah. 
and we're preparing for that boat rescue. Mm -hmm. And everybody's got a boat now. Swift um, water. Swift water, um, right. high angle, yeah, right. confined space. Mm -hmm. And you know, with every, um, with every law that's passed, you know, it puts more of a constraint on fire departments because we're called, as yeah. you know, when everything else, uh, nobody else knows what to do, they call the fire department. Right. And when we show, we're expected to know what we're doing and do something. And I think to, you know, the benefit of ourselves, I think we do generally know. But it, it is time consuming and it is, um, it is laborious, you know, if you're doing it correctly. And um, some departments are, some departments don't see a need. So hopefully they've, you know, partnered with another town that yeah. can come in. Right. And this mutual aid thing is, is terrific in these towns because, uh, and even the Uasi mm -hmm. now with yeah. the, all the resources sure. they have. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Years ago, well, you would be embarrassed to call another town to a house fire, correct? Yeah. You'd you, be wouldn't, you wouldn't even fill your house. No. Right. Every, you all your roll stuff the dice. would be there. You'd roll the dice. And your house is you know? just sitting there. Yep. The other towns would know you kind of had something, so they may be called if you had something else, but well, you generally, going to that fire. Yeah, generally, you called them just to keep them quiet because <laughs> they were very upset that you didn't call. I mean, recently, they still are. We, recently, <laughs> yeah. we recently had a house fire where we called Mutual Aid to town next door. Without mentioning any names, the chief shows up and he comes over to me because I was, uh, I had driven the rescue truck there. So I'm standing here watching the operation. He goes over and he says, what happened? So what do you mean what happened? <laughs> so where's the fire? I said, well, it's out. He said, the fire's out. I said, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do when we get here? Right. We put the fire out. And it's almost like if you call mutual aid, they're expecting this conflagration. Mm -hmm. You know, it shouldn't be over that soon. Because again, we train and train and train for that work, and right. you know, if you apply to race strategy and tactics, you're going to knock it real quick. Thank yeah. God, that's the way it's got to be and, done. And you want everything to be coming, just in case sure. it gets out oh, of yeah. hand. Well, you they can did send it back. They just, did, and yeah, you know, they hung out. Yeah, but um, but I love the, I love that old school out, the old school mentality of like we didn't call them, we handle ourselves. Fires in my town, we handle. Well, a lot of town, yeah. a lot of chiefs back then. A lot of the older chiefs had that mentality. Not that I agree with it. It was not no, right. necessarily right. Good. But it is it is quite different today. Um, where but what I like too is like we did on a mutual aid level in our area was we tried to get all the partners in the mutual aid to operate similarly and use the same sure. radio use the same radio um, designations and and, right. and jobs and understanding, you know, first do, second do, third do truck responsibilities and things like that. Like We've tried very hard to do that, standardized alarm assignments, mm -hmm. things like that. So, and I, I think you have to because as we go forward, we rely more and more on our neighbors. Well, our mutual help, aid is right? almost like one giant fire department. It has become that. It has become that. Have to look yes. at it. And whoever is the chief that has the fire is the chief at the time, and everyone else just assists. Right. Yeah. And you know now we're backfilling other areas or skipping towns so that if we have another incident, right. we're thinking beyond right. that actual fire. Yeah, correct. I think too, it's, you know, we, we talk about the, um, the aspect with the, like, calling people mutually and stuff to get them rolling. And I think it's sometimes it's very, it's very hard because like, we, we, we train the new guys that like, hey, if they had a fire, we're calling a second alarm, like doing it, you know, we're on so-and-so's second alarm. So if they get work, we're going. And we get there and like set the fires out, we've done our job. Um, and I almost think sometimes we build that safety catch into them to the point where like they're going to have that time where like they show up and like it's not going to be that easy. Right. Like, and that's what we're going to say like now we're going to work. Right. And I hope 
I've just never like it kind of just popped in my head with this conversation that we're having. But like I hope that that's not a disservice that we do. But at the same time, like I said, if we can always send them back. We can't keep them rolling. Yeah, I think if they know they're called for the right reason. Yeah. And you know, I hate to just see people rotate the troops for the sake of rotating the troops. I mean, we have a protocol, two bottles, you're out, you go to rehab, you sit, you know, and then you're either approved or not approved to go back in. But just to do it, just to keep them busy, because they came, I, I'm, I'm not really for that either, because they may have something better to do than be there, but of course they come to help. But it's a fine line you got to work out. You know, you got to talk to the chiefs but, but and But also the with these and, fires, you know, like you said, we don't get many jobs, so, you know, to bring in another town just so these kids can observe oh, oh wow why did it burn this way well if you right. look at it for a while you can tell and right. you know in my town for a long time we weren't going anywhere so we weren't seeing any fires so you know once we started going and most of the time it was because we were fast team trained and we were doing that and i said your job is twofold but another reason why you're here is you can see how everybody works and your job is to kind of look at everything because we need to solve any of these little problems that might happen. So you need to keep an eye on everything. But that way you'll know how the whole fire's working the whole time. Yeah. And that's right. if you don't see fire or you don't manage a fire, then it's controlled chaos, if best, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, God, there's so many things uh, to, to say here. But, you know, I, I agree. And I think I think being... Al, you brought up a great point when you said don't rotate them through just for the sake of rotating them through. And I'm thinking, um, you, you got me thinking about some of the most recent jobs that I went through, and you got your second and third alarm companies that are there. And, um, you know, you look at like a New York City job or an, uh, a larger metropolitan city type job, they have a lot of guys. And they got a lot of guys standing in the street because they have specific tasks as what company they come in on what alarm. They have a certain job, and if that job doesn't need to be done, they're, but they're still there, they stand in their company, and then when called upon, they, they perform. And we're kind of the same way, like when we bring in all these resources in the, in the, in the volunteer sector on a second and third alarm, we tend to get um, sometimes not quick enough enough people there, but when we do get them there, but there's still a tremendous amount of jobs that need to be done. And I guess this just goes into that incident command uh, and strategies and tactics and ground ladders and secondary, you know, primary secondaries and all these, all these tasks that have to be done. But it also goes to the fact that, you know, when we don't, you know, years ago, when you say you guys used to handle it yourselves, that meant your guys got a good solid, could be up to an hour worth of work. Right. And the amount of yeah. lessons learned in that one hour of hooking, putting fire out, cutting a roof, you know, you name it, versus today where we might get a kid to go in on his first bottle and then they're like, all right, we're pulling a company out, we got more guys outside, take a blow. Right. What did the kid was you in there for five, work. seven minutes? What did he learn? And so, you know, I, you got to find that fine balance, too. Um, you know, I was always that type of officer when I was a company officer, a lieutenant captain. There were numerous fires where they were, like, backing guys out. And I said, let's just shelter down in this bedroom for a minute. Mm -hmm. let, the, let the house thin out. they got too many guys in the house. They're, they want to back everybody out, do a par, do accountability, and so on. I would take my guys, and we'd duck into a bedroom, close the door. We'd take our, you know, go off air for a minute, you know, take a blow. See what in nine out of ten times it wasn't because conditions were deteriorating; it was because they were losing the span of control. And so we would we would then police ourselves, but then we're right back in the thick of it. And I, I always hate being pulled out of a job before it's finished. And it's the yeah. guy up in Linebeck, New York, who was on the FDNY, and I didn't I didn't know it at the time. But we went into a fire, and the, the roof was collapsing in this house, and it was just, it was all up in the roof. 
people are yelling evacuate the building and he just like grabbed him and said come here and we backed down into the stairway he said you know what can't happen it can't collapse into the stairway like it can come down but this isn't like they, right we're good and then he was like right. it's not falling down everybody just right. take a deep breath right real yeah quick. right and i was like wow this guy is i don't know who he is but he is like yeah Mr. Yeah, I see a lot yeah. of people uh, jump the gun, yeah. especially the younger officers, because mm -hmm. they're trained. <clears throat> we're trained so much to err on the side of safety right. yeah. that we almost pull the trigger too soon, if I can use that analogy, yeah. on getting to the seat of the fire and putting it out. And again, uh, you know, my biggest um, concern on a fire scene is just that, getting water in a fire as quickly as Absolutely. possible. And yet when you watch a lot of these videos that are posted, there's just an inordinate amount of time from when that engine pulls up to when they stretch that line and they get that line inside or outside or anywhere mm -hmm. to put water on the fire. We saw and that, that's a concern. Yeah. That that's a big event. concern. And this thing from Philadelphia, this crew showed up and was it like 60 seconds? 90 seconds they had a first yeah. and second floor knocked down single engine sure. water line yeah. because they were an aggressive Absolutely. energy company. And they went in and pushed the fire out. Absolutely. And, and, that's and what I, it's all about. I agree with you. And I, I've said that from I've said that from just my experience over the years. I mean, I've been a fireman now 24 years. Um, and you were there when I first started. And, and I want to touch on a couple of those quick stories. But, um, you know, the biggest thing is this. The problem is the fire. If we can put the fire out or subside the fire, put, beat it down, the problem starts to get better. Right? right. Well, everything else is secondary. Yeah. Life safety. Right. If you well. put the fire out, you have a better chance of making life safety. Sure. You, you got a better chance of uh, you know bettering the situation and so on. So, you know, get water on the fire. That is the primary job in the fire service. And you can argue that with with the truck guys all you want. At the end of the day, the nozzle's got to go in the building and put the fire. Yeah. out. You put the fire out, problem goes away. Yeah. And then, you know, it's another. I find another big issue um, as we trans transverse to the, the newer crowd, if you will. When they look at a building, size up, I'm not talking about you know, what window is the flame coming out of. I'm talking about, let's talk about GPM needed for the yeah. size of the houses we're seeing in our communities That's today. Now, my, right, my community was is a basic middle-class community. Uh, a lot of capes, post-World War II houses, a lot of capes, a lot of split levels, a lot of bi-levels. Nothing compared to some of these towns, Without especially in Bergen County, where you have these mega mansions. Sure. You go into that space and you start doing your calculations, BPU oh, yeah. you know, versus GPM, you're behind the eight ball yeah. from the get-go. Yep. You're behind the eight ball. Without a doubt. Um, my biggest fire was the shopping center that burned yeah. in 1997. 12 stores, it went end-to-end -end in 30 minutes. Wow. Most stream trust construction, no fire protection features, nothing, not even alarm system. No firewalls, nothing. Where is this? Okay, Ponton Lakes. Okay. It was a Ben Franklin. RSOP. Like five and dime. All right, two store. anchor stores on the end with the strip in the middle. Yep. Typical 1950s. It was built in 56. Mm -hmm. We had just pre-planned the building in August. And when I say pre-planned, we went there, we parked the rig, shut them off, walked around that building, got up into the cockloft area, surveyed the Acme space, got up into that skull, looked over that selling floor. And that's what makes people go, wow. Wow, yeah, wow. And you might be in here. And you shouldn't be in here if the fire's up in the truss, right? And we drove that home. There's nothing like seeing to make you believe. You can't talk about it from the outside. Right. You gotta get into, if I can say the Billy the Beast, you gotta know what yeah, the, no, the inside is like. You're, you're anyway, on that particular November morning, we had a fire that started in a light fixture in the ceiling. 
of the Acme market. And it just progressed from there. And I'll tell you what, and I, I've said this, you know, we say it in a joking manner, but if we laid out all our hose the night before, we still wouldn't caught it. We still would not have caught it. Yeah. Because the <laughs> airspace and the draft, talking about flow paths earlier, right. the draft that fire creates. Watch any bonfire that you're out, yeah. and you can actually see and oh, you know yeah. the air being mm -hmm. pulled in. The draft itself, and we, I, we had like nine aerial pieces. I don't know how many engines there. We we were drafting out of lakes and rivers and our our systems, our municipal systems. It was all for naught. The GPMs just outdid the, or rather the uh, BTUs just outdid the GPMs, mm -hmm. and there was no way that. Uh, you know, that was going to happen. But again, fully unprotected building. And there was nothing in the codes that could make us right. upgrade. So we prepared for it. Nobody got hurt. Our biggest thing is, yeah. God forbid, the, the rule, the order was, nobody goes in that building if that fire's in that truss. And they didn't. Yeah. And we were there to make sure of that. And uh, fortunately, everybody went home. We had one police officer tripped over a hose and he was injured. That, that was the sentiment. That's from the night before? Or? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I can't say too much about that. But anyway, uh, yeah. very successful operation when it came time to incident command. We were on three different radio channels. Um, I even had people comment, how come there wasn't a lot of radio channel? Well, certain people, water supply was on their own channel, this one. I mean, and that was really at the precursor of incident command. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, we weren't into it like we are today. It was, it was just starting to break out and become the thing. I actually went to National Fire Academy for it for the weekend. And uh, we implemented it and it, it just worked great. So you got so many different segments. You got your, uh, obviously as you know, your, your incident control, command and control. Mm -hmm. Then you have your strategy and tactics, which yeah. have changed so much. And just the equipment, both the personal gear yeah. and the apparatus. You got four main tremendous areas mm -hmm. where in 40 years, the technology oh, has just, just gone out of sight. Right. You know? mm -hmm. right. I will say for everybody listening um, and watching, of course, uh, that was on the cover of Firehouse Magazine. Yes, it was. I believe in 97. Um, I remember it. I was in college in 97, but I remember that fire specifically. Um, and uh, and so on. I think it had a head start, right? It had a little delay. Yeah, we had a little delay and, 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 and alarm reporting. Yeah, so I mean, it, yeah. yeah, the cards were against you. So we were, we were behind the eight ball uh, yeah. to begin with, but uh, it was a Monday morning at uh, about 7.20 in the morning. So everybody had left town for work. A lot of people, I shouldn't yeah. say everybody, but a lot of people were only on the way. When they heard what it was, they turned around. Yeah, oh yeah. Because, you know, we had always feared a fire in that building. We knew what the end result was gonna be. Right. I mean, it happened in other towns. It happened in West Patterson. Years prior to that, it happened in some Bergen County towns. Right, absolutely. With both stream trusts. And, and of course, you know, Hackensack, yep. Um, yep. you know, the uh, youngest, Steve, was a, a personal friend of mine. and. Um, you know, um, that even drove home more, you know, of a, um, yeah, we've, we've, a an intense situation to the whole Yeah, the whole we've thing. discussed that at length here. Sure. Especially having Steve Callum in the studio, yep. Deputy Chief, and yeah. so on. And then we went down there and, uh, and so on. So, I mean, we got really a good lesson on that right. um, and so on. So. But again, you're talking about things that we do reactively yeah. to help people do better and, and you know, work better. And I, I don't disagree with the markings, the placards on the buildings, mm -hmm. but firefighters have to learn how to read buildings. Yeah. They have to learn how to undress them, is what I agree. I talk to you. They take the wood off, take the shingles off. What do you see? That's what you got to learn. Not to look for that placard, because if they do a hybrid addition, 
after that building is built and that placard doesn't get changed, that placard to me means, as a, a commanding officer, means nothing. Right. I don't even look for it. Right. I look at the shape of the building. A lot of parapets cover the, the shape. They do it, as you know, on purpose to mm -hmm. cover the old roof style or, you know, maybe a, a shoddy roof. So they've got to learn to do that 360, to get those safety officers around. You mentioned that earlier, uh, having enough safety officers. I know when I was chief, my assistant chief immediately went to the C side of the building. I was in the front, he was in the back, and we did the, uh, you know, the corner standoff like the police do for a burglary. Right. So you can, I can watch two sides, he can watch two sides. If you have the manpower, it's nice to put each guy on a side, but you don't always have that. But, um, you know, there's, there's just so much we can do, and unfortunately, a lot of our resources are limited now. We're not getting the turnouts we used to get. So your first job is to get water on that fire, and that yeah. kind of depletes that initial response you hit on uh, the construction before we've talked about construction here many times too but let me just hit on it with you real quick in pompton lakes is there do you see a construction i mean i know like in my area there's a lot of new construction mm -hmm. uh, which brings in the engineered lumber and all the new right. types and styles of buildings well is, do you you know do you see your area we're seeing it right now we've got a redevelopment commission and we have three or four big projects yeah that are uh, coming up and and they're the typical Edgewater, New Jersey, gotcha. uh, mm -hmm. fire right. construction. Yep. Yeah. All pre-engineered lumber. Now the steps, pre-engineered steps, you saw them. They're yep. nothing but flake board and yep. metal. Uh, my big concern with them, and, and I don't know, well, let's get back to innovations. Let's talk fire sprinklers. Sure. Yeah. We've got to get a bill passed I agree. requiring fire sprinklers in buildings, especially residential buildings, and I'll tell you why. There's just no way to get water quicker on a fire. You know that. It, it gets water on a fire immediately. Absolutely. There's no fire company in the world going to be quicker than a sprinkler head. And it, what my suggestion is, and I'll bring that up now, and uh, I, I hope, I, if it's being done somewhere, I'm not aware of it. But let's put a dry system in the roof lines of all these buildings. Let's put a dry system with a fire department connection on the outside. So when that fire gets into that space that we can't access, and we can't access it quickly or easily because it's in the attic space, just charge that line. I mean, everybody's going to get wet, but I don't care. Right. We're not going to jeopardize firefighters, civilians, residents, and we won't have to kill ourselves trying to get into that, that space because getting up on that roof is doing nothing. These, uh, these exterior aerial devices pushing in are doing nothing. As a matter of fact, they're probably fanning it a little bit more and creating more of a, you know, a, an air path. But, um, that's what I would like to see in our town. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Because obviously it's not required, but that's you, what we got to push for. You have domestic water throughout town, though, right? Yes. And we have a very, fortunately, we have a very good system. Yeah. We have a municipal utilities authority, and, and we have good volume and good pressure yeah. everywhere in town. Yeah. But again, when you get a fire the size of the one I talked about, sure. the strip mall, it's yeah. overtaxed. Sure. Well, we had on it before too. I mean, you know, these uh, mega mansions or McMansions, whatever you want to call them. I mean, you know, we have some homes in my first year that are 10, 12,000 square sure. feet plus, and those are commercial building fires. And right. the problem is, though, is that when you go into a basement of a 10,000 square foot home and there's no lolly columns in there, right? You know, and, and the basement's just as large as the whole first floor and there's no center exactly. support structure, what the hell does that tell you, right? I mean, and that, that to me scares the hell out of me. And I would love to see on the local level too like our planning board and zoning officials put some type of ordinances in place that, you know, residential construction over X amount of sure. uh, square footage, 
requires some type of suppression system. I do know that there are a few homes under construction right now in some of the more um, affluent neighborhoods that are large square footage are actually putting in residential sprinkler oh, systems. Yeah. Um, Don't the, the damage subsidize that? Like, there's no reward for that. Like, they, they'll, they'll tell you, like, oh, hey, you're going to get a, like, a reduction in your taxes, in your, or not in your taxes, in your uh, fire insurance. It's minimal. Yeah, but that's yeah. it. But that's if you have a fire hydrant 200 feet from your home. Yeah. I'm talking about areas. Some a lot of these affluent communities don't have a domestic water supply system. No, but I mean, even with, so, this, even with the sprinkler system, like that's that's the one thing I guess. But like, we know what the benefit. It doesn't is. do anything. Yeah, but it doesn't Until do. Like, there's it has no to work. Enticement. <laughs> oh, I, that's I, I, was gonna, I, yeah. I understand. Okay, yeah. right. I, I, I understand. Insurance let me let insurance. me give an example in our town. They wanted to build a commercial yeah. building. Uh, it was a printing operation in our town on one of the side streets. They couldn't do it because they didn't want to pay for the water line to come down the street to service their sprinkler system that was required for this operation. The town didn't want to pay for it. The place didn't want to pay for it, so it never happened. The car wash moves in across the street. No, no problems. No questions asked. They right. supplied the car wash. Why? Because they use gallons, <laughs> yeah, thousands right, of right, gallons exactly. of water a yeah, day. Exactly. They're selling the water. They're in the business to sell water. Sprinkler systems don't sell water. They sit there, you know, but, you know, I don't know how the insurance companies don't require it. Mm -hmm. And I realize they just pay off on a house. You know, it's chump change to them. If the house burns to the ground. But you know what? How they get away with building these mansions with no water systems in the ground? Yeah. I, I just have no, yeah. I have no clue how these towns allow it. And I just, you know, and then no clue. bring it back to where, where, why we're here is then put us in the mix, right? And you do put a fire in one of those buildings and then we get there and, whether it's career or volunteer, you're talking about a fire with large square footage, plenty of sure. oxygen to burn, yeah. highly combustible The atrium space materials. is incredible in some Absolutely, but what does that do? Like, I don't keep, you know, if the house goes to the foundation, it goes to the foundation. The problem right. is, is how many guys are we pushing into those houses to, to make sure. that aggressive attack right. on you, just, you talked about, you know, the large space. Well, that means there's a lot of steel and concrete in there, so right. then it becomes like a commercial building where we can't even use the radius. Well, that or it's, or it's engineered, right. engineered lumber. I mean, that's yeah, the biggest that's problem, right? I mean, true. We, I've seen many, many of uh, first floors dip into the basement, and I was on one of those floors, and thank God I made it out with three other guys. Um, the, it's separated. It's separated from the center column, and the floor was pitching down, and the fire was rolling out from the basement, and we thought it was coming from the next room underneath that door, and we kept making a push, and then finally we come to realize that the floor is starting to sag, and the floor actually separated off the center beam of the house, and now the floor is going into the basement, and the fire is coming up from the basement, Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for, uh, there was a nozzle team in there with two of my good friends. I was the acting officer at the time on that engine company. And I was outside, followed the line back out to talk to somebody verbally. I come back in, a mutual aid chief comes in behind me on that line. We go in, something's not feeling right to me. And before it clicked in my brain, the chief behind me grabs my shoulder and goes, we got to get out, this, the floor's going. And I mean, they're talking zero visibility, very high heat. These guys on the nozzle thought they were making a good push. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, it didn't click with them that the floor was going. And at the end of that, when we were able to, we eventually, uh, we eventually got the fire out. And as everything lifted and we started looking at it, we all counted our graces and we went home that day. There's a great video out there from Montgomery County from the helmet camera. And I can't remember which company it was. It was either like Wheaton or um, the other one. But uh, I remember that you can remember the video and you'll know you're at the right one because it's around Christmas time and the, the one guy's got the Christmas lights right, on his helmet, helmet oh, yeah. but he goes through the floor. 
and it happened like that. And there was not, like, mm -hmm. it, it just didn't, it was exactly like how you're describing Yeah, but I'm fortunate that this went slow. Well, it happened this, yesterday in, in uh, Howard County, yeah. Maryland. Yeah. They had a firefighter throw a, uh, fall through a floor. Now, you know that's probably engineered lumber. And if you look at that house, right, you look at yeah. that house, I mean, that's yeah. very similar to the area that, and, and Tucker and I mm -hmm. fight fires in. Exactly. I mean, that's yeah. scary. And, you know, all of that lumber, as we know, to reach flashover takes like two minutes. Where the houses that I responded to back in my day, oh, that's it. seven or eight minutes. Two by four, Sometimes by we're not out of the door. And, and you would only minutes. get one flash back you know then, what I mean? which now we can have like exactly. seven flashes. It's exactly. Just, you know, yeah. keep building up. Keep so we're behind the eight ball yeah. before we even get out the door. Yeah. Majorly behind yeah. the eight ball. Where do you, um, let's, let's kind of take it a different way, Al, real quick. I mean, you've been doing this a long time and you've always been very, very much involved. Um, you know, whether it was chief, I think you were chief for 12 years of, of your department, right? Um, and then as the uh, lead instructor or the uh, director of the academy. But like the fire service in general, I mean, we talk about all these different things and we talked a lot of firematics tonight, which was great because we don't do a lot of that here. We talk more about the culture and tradition. So I've really been enjoying this, but I'm just curious, like going forward, um, I don't know, do you have any thoughts about like how do we entice or how do we look to grow um, the volunteer ranks, if you will, right? I mean, we have a lot of career guys that follow and so on, but, you know, we're, we're all very heavily involved in the volunteer service, and you are still, with all your years in this, you're still very much involved in your company. I know you are, um, and very involved in the fire service. So, like, do you have any ideas or thoughts, or are you seeing well, anything? I have, or? I have ideas, but they're not new ideas. Yeah. They're old ideas. That's okay. And this is what I've seen happen. When I joined, and even before me, I had... My parents, uh, my father was never involved, but I had uncles that were in the fire department. The fire department back then was the center of the community. It was a family. It was a family. It, when they came together, it was for a picnic or it was for a party. It was a social piece of the community, sure. just like your church was. Sure. You know, you had your church group, you had your fire department group. Look at the parades we used to have. You can't even get a parade today. Right. You can't even have one. Nobody wants to come. You're right. Nobody wants to polish a fire engine for three weeks, you know, to get a trophy this big and put it on a wall. And I get that. I know I never did. But the bottom line is we've gotten away from that. Yeah. Our young guys come in the door, they answer the alarm, they come back, and they go out. They don't hang around. We used to sit on the back step. We used to talk oh, yeah. about, you know, some stories, share uh, fires that we went to or what did you think about this? Even a mini critique, unofficially, you know, what, what do you think happened today? You know, did we do the right thing? We've lost that. Um, I think the cell phone had a tremendous impact because to talk to somebody in a firehouse, you had to come to the firehouse. Right. Now yeah, you just get right. on your phone and you're yeah. texting them where they could be in California. I really think, and it, not just fire departments, the, the the cell phones had a tremendous impact on social, our social Agreed. networking Agreed. across the board. Mm -hmm. And I think that had a big uh, big effect on us. Uh, a lot of young guys don't have the time. They want to, they get in. We lost a lot of guys right after they got out of the academy. You know, they came around for maybe a year and all of a sudden they disappeared. Well, well I got a new job, or I got married, I can't afford to live in town, or I gotta work a second job, I gotta borrow a house. We didn't have that problem. You know, we right. didn't have, when I got home from work, I had free time to go up to the firehouse right. and wash the truck or yep. rack the hose and, or whatever. Even that aspect of I can't afford to live in town anymore. Right. I think that's one where, like, truly, I've, I've watched it in, uh, in Poughkeepsie. I've watched it down mm -hmm. in Maryland. And I've watched it, you know, being here, like, talking with 
Jeremy from Franklin Lakes or even you down in Hogus, like people like like the people that are living here, they're not volunteering. No, and, no, and they won't. And, <laughs> and it's not just the fire service. It's, it's baseball Jeremy, coaches, yeah, library and, and, and that's not because, like, that's just because, like, they are coming from an area where that part of community service was never a thing. Like, no. and they're not even they're they're not even thinking about the community. Right. That is it right. safe? Other services? Oh, Can I build my eight thousand square right. foot home? Great. You would be surprised like, at the numbers of people that think we have paid fire service. Oh, that yeah, are. yeah. They, they have no clue. Mm -hmm. Especially if they moved in from the city, yep. they just accept that, the fact. And, and Rob, Rob hit it. I mean, you know that that's a big thing where people come from urban settings. You know, we like where we are in, in Bergen County. It's a bedroom community for New York City, mm -hmm. and so a lot sure. of the people that live in our communities commute to the city every day. And so volunteering in their community community probably goes as far as like maybe a baseball or soccer coach on the on the recreation. That's about it. Or like but, dropping pennies into the can of the grocery yeah, store. Yeah, right. Yeah, but but the thing is too is that. <laughs> they have a level of expectation of services because that's all they've ever known. You know, whereas a guy like me grew up in a small town and I understand the value of small town and a small police department, a volunteer fire department, mm -hmm. you knew every cop by name, which is even, well, that's changing now too, but you know, that's part of it. I think, I, I'll just real quick too, just thinking back, like you said like a lot of guys, and I see it too, guys after the run come back, I mean, you know, volunteer house, if you still can crack a beer, used to crack a beer, used Absolutely. to tell a story, used to have that camaraderie. Sure. What I find now, though, and I, I, I've done a couple little segments on this on our platform, is about the senior man and just talking about, like, is the senior man even putting in the amount of time that he should be putting in? Because what I find, and, and I know I'm guilty of it, there's a lot of times that I go to a call, I sign in, after the call, I, I go on a call, I come back, I sign in, I'm like, all right, guys, I gotta run, I got something going on, I'm doing this, right? But I do find that there are times when I can stay. I like to engage guys. And I do mm -hmm. find that when the senior guys are willing to stick around also, the younger guys tend to stick around to hear the stories. Yep. Or to to just kind of like get that camaraderie. Because I think they miss yeah. that. Like, you know, I look at like my, my two older guys. I mean, Michael's 24 and Kendra's 21. And, you know, uh, you know, I look at them and a lot of them hanging out with their friends is them on their phones too, like you said, right? Yeah. But I do find in the firehouse, like, uh, we, had, we had a couple runs. We had three runs after midnight tonight, uh, or this, today. So I made two out of the three. And I found at 2 o'clock this morning, we got back, and a couple young kids, me and one other older guy. And uh, it was kind of awake still, so we started talking. And, then, like, they all stayed because mm -hmm. there's engagement, right. Right? right? I think it's important that we still, even a guy like yourself with all these years in the service, still try to engage I would say a lot of our guys do. That's good. try to engage. But I'll give you an example of something that struck me, uh, and this happened a couple of years ago. We had a young man. We had a fire around four, I guess, four, four thirty in the morning. And when we got back, I would have gone home, took in a, taken a shower, and gone to work. Right. You know? And um, there were many days that I did that. Mm -hmm. But we have guys that don't show up. Right. If it's between a certain time period, they don't show up because they have to get up and go to work. Well, I had to go up and get, to, you know, go to work as well. well. I get it. But I took it, you know, and, and went to work. And of course, you're tired throughout the day, but you make it up the following night. Um, I don't see that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The loyalty, maybe it is. I don't see that loyalty and commitment on a part. I won't say I won't lump everybody in a group. I get it. But there are a lot it. that 
that don't put that loyalty there. I mean, it got in my blood. I know it got in your blood. It, you know, I knew that. And you want to be there. Yeah. You want to help. There's no greater satisfaction, at least for me, knowing that we save somebody or save somebody's house. It was just a feel of a feeling of exhilaration. And you know, I always, uh, I always tease the guys in my department because I say, we should put signs up in front of the homes we save. We don't do that. <laughs> the only thing you see in our town is where like the buildings that. burnt down. Yeah. We have a space on the main street. What was there? Well, that was a building that burnt down. Like but that. we had a fire in that building. We did, yes. Yeah. Should put a sign out in front. We had a building, but we saved it. We don't do that. Of course, we're not going to do that. But if they only knew the saves that we make yeah. in yeah. the incipient stage or even well, in a... For our department up in New York, like, you know, where I work, we have... We have a high tax base, and we're one of the highest tax districts. They have the career staff, so people are like, right. you know, they're aggravated. But at the same time, like in our reporting, we're able to say that, hey, we protected this many millions of dollars sure. of equipment. Like, we went to the, like, these are the calls that we went there, and if nobody showed up, this would have gone into a fire. Right? Sure. And it would have, like, this building's rated at $450,000, and it would have been uh, in the ground. You know, and yeah. I, I think that's like a, a good avenue to go. Yeah. You gotta have that 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 tracking, and I think the kids exactly. can help us out with the technology because I know. A couple weeks stuff. ago, I was pissed off. I slept through a car fire. Did you? <laughs> I never sleep through cars, then, right? Uh, I actually slept through. They don't through happen it. too often. I, no, right? You know, you don't like even a car fire. Twenty four years in, I'll still take car fire twenty four hours a day, right? Slept through it, and I don't sleep through calls that much, and. I actually slept through this, and I wake up the next morning, 5.30, my alarm goes off. I pick up my phone just to make sure I didn't miss anything throughout the night, like messages-wise, whatever. And I look, and it's all lit up, and I go, what the hell is this? And I go, fire, fire. I click on it, right? Like, car, turned out to be an arson car fire on 287, right? Okay. Pull the car over in the grass. They land it on fire, and a cop pulls. The cop happened to be patrolling, pulls up, right? And then they jump in a car, and they take off. Left the gas can burning next to the car. Like, total, like, you know, blatantly obvious, you know. And then the guy's like, oh, yeah, we missed you last night. I'm like, 24 years in, I was pissed. Yeah. I was still pissed. Like, I do, but like you said, like, I have, still in it. I have that civic pride, and I have that, you know, I love to put the sign in the front yard to, to tell everybody the, the value that we bring and what we do um, and so on. But I also do it because I get a personal satisfaction out of it. And not a lot of people talk about that. Right, everybody talks about doing it for your community, you do it for the betterment of God country. Listen, yeah. I do it because I love getting my ass kicked. I love working hard, but I love working with a team and I love the brotherhood and I love being able to come back from a job and re-rack the engine right. and have that camaraderie. And that that camaraderie, like everybody says, right? You get a job, you come back to the firehouse, you know what? Things are good for ninety days, yep. man. Three months yeah. after that fire. Right, you're things good. seem to level off. Yeah. And there's no bitching. There's no griping. No, it so, I mean, definitely changes the mood. Yeah, it sure does. Without a doubt, it sure does. But you know, I mentioned something too. Our, we have a very small, tight knit town. Right. Okay. And that helps because our powers that be, you know, our mayor and council, and uh, you know, other groups that we support, they know who we are and they know we're there to support them. Well, that's good. You don't get that in the bigger towns. Yeah. You know, especially people that are. are um, it's a, a bedroom, use it as a bedroom community because they're out of the town all day. Right. They don't see a lot of interaction, a lot of what goes on, and they come home to sleep and maybe you know have their barbecues or whatever. But so I, I think depending on the community too, you know, it, it has an effect 
overall because we feel the thanks. You know, we get it. We get it from the mayor and council. And uh, obviously it shows, too, in their support of us and the equipment, you know, that we get and so forth. So you know that they're, they're on your side. And that, that also helps with that's the morale great. issue and, Absolutely. and everything else that goes along with it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, I will say, um, no, this has been fantastic. And I'm not wrapping up yet by any means, but I just wanted to touch on a couple other things. Um, Al was a, uh, you know, other than all his other titles, he was a um, high school teacher for many, many years. And I had the privilege of being one of his students. And uh, he was one of my favorite teachers of all kind. But I'll tell you this about um, Al. Al was, Al was great. He, he worked in the shop wing for many years and then became... Uh, vice principal and then principal, correct? I don't, correct. Okay. Yes. So, um, not I alluded to it earlier that he, the only Saturday detention I ever got, Al put me in detention. You know, I got caught having a cigarette outside of school. You weren't allowed to smoke on property. This is when I was like 16, 17 years old. I go in, Al, Al was acting vice president at the, or vice principal at the time. I go to his office. Now I know him because of the fire service. My family's been in the fire service. So, and Al was always, the one thing I can always say about Al was he always spoke so highly of the fire service. And you were proud to be a fireman. Um, you were Absolutely. proud of, of the Pumpkin Lakes Fire Department. And everybody knew how proud you were of that. And so I was like, oh, this is great. Go in and see Al. This is great, man. Brotherhood, right? Brotherhood. I walk in his office, right? Sit down. He goes, what'd you do? I was like, ah, they, they, you know, caught me having a cigarette. He goes, you know, you're not allowed to smoke at school, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, all right, Saturday. And I go, what? He goes, Saturday detention. And I go, well, Al. Out, right? I'm like, Mr. Evangelista, like, you know, and he's like, Did you break the rules? I'm like, Well, uh, yeah, Saturday detention. And that was one of those like moments I'm like, Whoa, right? But I love like looking back on it, it's a fantastic story. But the one story I really want to hit on is I was in school, I was a senior, Pedro goes off in school, and it was for a uh, reported fire, right? Now, we were not, we didn't have an open campus, so we weren't allowed to leave high school to go to fires, right? So because I hung out in the what we call the 900 wing, which was like the shop wing, auto shop, drafting, wood shop, metal shop, which I don't think any of that exists anymore in high school, right? Pretty much gone. Yeah. Yep. So I hung out in that wing quite often. And so I was able to park in the upper parking lot. So I would I'd cut out of class to go use the bathroom. I'd go out into the parking lot <laughs> and I'd sit in the truck and listen to scanner and see if it's a job, right? And see, like, is it worth, like, playing hooky and, like, leaving? So on, right? You're not supposed to. Al comes by in the chief's car, he pulls up, and he sees me sit in the truck, he goes, what are, you, what are you doing? Why aren't you in class? And I go, I was like, oh, we got, a, we got a reported fire. He goes, if it's a job, I'll take you myself. And I go, I was like, what? <laughs> right? I go, what? He goes, I'll take you myself if it's a fire. So he's like, let me know. So he's like parking the car, and then he sees me, he comes back, he's like, what? I'm paraphrasing, he goes, uh, he goes well, and I go, uh, it's a kitchen fire. And he goes, is it going? And I'm like, no, it sounds like it's knocked. He's like, get your ass back to class. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this, like growing, growing up in high school where, you know, I played sports and being a volunteer fireman was not the popular thing to do or it wasn't, you know, there were only a couple, a handful of other kids that had any desire to do any of that type of stuff. And I was very proud of it. And I think a lot of that had to do with the way that Al carried himself. And I thank you thank for you. that because... Thank you very um, much. And I think there's a couple other guys that were in my group when we came through with mm -hmm. you being who yes. you were in school and were all still very much involved in the fire service. Exactly. And I think a lot of it had to do with your tutelage. Thank and you, you. You spoke very highly of the job. And so I thank you. You're and welcome. for you to be here tonight is, is really important to me. So well, I'm glad to have you. I could tell you a number of success stories with awesome. students that went through there that... 
either went volunteer or career, yeah. both in EMS and in fire. And uh, one of my greatest um, days, if you can, of, of thanks, was um, we had a, um, a student that joined volunteer department, and then he went on to become a career firefighter and retired after, whatever, 25, 30 years. At his retirement party, which I was at, he said, I have one man to thank for finishing my career the way I did, because he got me into it and he pointed over to me. That's cool. And I was, I think, the only volunteer in the crowd. I think everybody else there was career. And boy, that made me feel like a hundred bucks. But you know what it was? I always wanted to inspire young people for community service. Now, we know it really never was a big deal until 9-11. After 9-11, right. then it all, all became, you know, do for your community to cert teams. Right. Community emergency response teams came into play. But I always respected those kids that wanted to serve their communities because they weren't doing it for personal gain. They weren't, they, you know, they weren't in charge of yearbook because they wanted to put that on their resume or they wanted to, right. you, know, right. uh, you know, speak at graduation or whatever, whatever the case may be. They were doing it because they really liked it and or wanted to help their communities. And, and that's a beautiful thing. We should encourage more of that. I know yeah. we do. We do as much as we can. But, um, you know, even in the case of my own son, you know, uh, growing up from a little, little boy, wanted to be a fireman. And today, today he is one, as yes, they say. Today that's he fantastic. Is a career fireman. So it's just a nice thing to see people grow into their positions, find themselves. Some of these kids that found themselves were not the greatest kids, you know, in school as far as paying paying attention to the rules. But um he just looked at you. No, like but, uh, <laughs> that's that's right through me. That's <laughs> what you know, a lot of people forget that there's a tremendous maturation process that occurs at that at that age. Yeah. You know, Kids have all kinds of things tearing at them and, uh, you know, trying to find themselves and what their careers are going to be. And we're in a very high pressure area of the country as sure. far as people going to college and yes. not just college, but Ivy Leagues or right. you know, yeah. high end colleges and so forth. So that puts a lot of pressure on young people today. Yeah. Well, I thank you and thank you for your story. You're welcome. Um, we've been going for quite a while here and I'm sure we can go for hours more. but. Uh, yeah. I thank you, right? Thank you for being here tonight. It means well, a lot to me. It's been um, a pleasure. This, this platform means a lot to all of us, um, and especially me. It's very and, cool. Uh, you get to have a mentor. Yeah. On, because that's, you know, yeah. I didn't really hit on the mentorship thing, but, and that's okay, because actually it's good to end it on that, because it's, you know, for me, having pretty much it was like to hold my beer, I'm going to call Rob with this idea of National Fire Radio. <laughs> but it's, and that's one of the things we say in a lot of podcasts is how we got this started. Yeah. As he called me up because he knew me, but he didn't know me. Oh, yeah. But now it's neat because I get to see one of his mentors, yeah. one of the people who was involved in shaping him to, you know, pretty much come up with this fair brain idea and be like, hey, let's go. <laughs> um, and everything else. That's good to hear. It's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. We're having a lot of fun with it. And, uh, and I thank you. You guys so, didn't tell me you needed hair for this. Well, that's all right. Dude, I'll thank you. Pleasure. As these guys talk about their oh, hair pleasure. care, um, thank you. So, guys, Al Evangelista, the home run of a brother and uh, really just uh, a good friend and uh, mentor. So I thank you for being here tonight. Uh, guys, Jeremy, National Fire Radio, which is now Rob's cell phone ringer, which is one of my favorite things in the world. Yes. Um, awesome cell phone ringer. We're going to put it up on iTunes soon. <laughs> For sale. Yeah. <laughs> Ed Tucker and Sebi behind the scene who never gets enough today. credit. Um, I thank all of you for listening and watching, and we have a lot coming out um, over the next few weeks. 
And uh, thank you. Thanks for uh, really supporting us and checking out our content. Uh, things have been going really well, and we appreciate all the support. So take care. Be safe. Be in touch. Awesome. Al, thank you. Hey, everybody. It's Robert with National Fire Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Catch up with us on social media. We got SoundCloud, National Fire Radio, YouTube, National Fire Radio, Instagram, National Fire Radio, and Facebook, National Fire Radio. Guys, check us out. Take care. Be safe. See you later.